0: Today on Security Science, CVE data is often misinterpreted. Here's what to look for. Thank you for joining us. I'm Dan Mellinger, and with me today is Jerry Gamblin, who's learned to speak the language of CVE and is going to teach us what to look out for in CVE data to make better prioritization decisions. What's up, Jerry?
1: Not much. How's it going? Good to be back.
0: Yeah, it's been a little while, so glad you're getting to travel a little bit lately, getting back out on the road post-COVID, right? Yeah, Ish. I
1: just finished up at AWS reInvent and looking forward to taking my last and third trip of the year this uh, this next upcoming week, so it'll be good.
0: Woo! Well, it's nice to have you back on the show and uh, this is actually a pretty cool topic. So um, we're breaking down a lot of the misconceptions with uh, common vulnerabilities and exposures. And so um, we'll get into it, but I wanted to start with a little bit of a primer on CVEs just in case this is anyone's first time uh, listening to the podcast or like trying to get into security in general. So the mission of CVE, or Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures, the program itself is to identify, define, and catalog publicly disclosed cybersecurity vulnerabilities. So there is one CVE record for each vulnerability in the catalog. The vulnerabilities are discovered, and then assigned, and published by organizations from around the world. So um, they're kind of partners with CVE, and we'll get into that because that also comes with some downsides. Uh, The partners publish these CVE records to communicate some consistent descriptions, which can be (laughs) true or maybe not, of vulnerabilities. And then information technology and cybersecurity professionals use CVE records to ensure they're discussing the same issue and to coordinate their efforts to prioritize and address vulnerabilities. So all of that is the goal. How effective all those little components uh, are in reality are actually what we're kind of talking about right now. Um, and then I was just going to start with this little intro. So this is really based on a byline that you wrote, Jerry, for dark yep. reading. Um, and it's called CVE data is often misinterpreted. Here's what to look out for. So I'm going to read your intro and then we'll kick off from there and we will link that article on the podcast page. So. Most people only ever give common vulnerabilities and exposures a passing glance. They may look at the Common Vulnerability Scoring System or CVSS score, uh, determine whether the list of affected products is a concern from them, and then move on. And that's not really surprising. There's more to sift through than ever. Considering there have been more than 14,000 CVEs and counting just published in 2021 it isn't practical to try and investigate them all. So we are on pace to see nearly 40% more CVEs in 2021 than last year. So when you do see a CVE that might apply to you, how can you tell? What should you be looking at for? Um, and what should be, you be looking at to determine if it's worth your time? Unfortunately, you can't just read the title of a CVE and know whether it's safe to ignore. Within CVE data, there are actionable details that can help address your security concerns, including auxiliary data points, like common platform enumeration specifics. It requires a little bit of extra work, but there could be a big payoff if you identify and patch of vulnerability before it's exploited. So let's dig deeper into this. Uh, Jerry, where do CVEs come from?
1: From the vendor, from researchers. uh, So CVEs are the general reporting guideline of a vulnerability. They they are ran by MITRE for the U.S. government. Um, It started 20 years ago, 21 years ago in 1999. They they decided at Purdue to put this together. I think we talked about that at an earlier podcast recording. Um, Yep. They really are supposed to be the final resting place, the final public disclosure for vulnerabilities. So everybody can go to one place and find the vulnerabilities and and know that that's the source of truth. It's weird. Before CVEs, the data was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And for 10, 15 years, up until about two years ago, the data was always in CVE. And that was the good point. And we're kind of stretching away from that. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go on but there's so many data points now CBE is kind of getting for lack of a better term clogged up and, and a little behind the, the times interesting so
0: before 99 it was just kind of shared right it was through the community it was on uh what are they called a uh, message boards. boards, yeah BBS's yep, yeah. yep. Um, So it was kind of all over the place. And the whole goal of this was to unify things. So at least people had kind of a database of everything that's been discovered, roughly using the same characteristics to describe stuff, right?
1: As a history geek, I like to to talk to people and tell them that it's the Rosetta Stone of security, is that it's the common language. So no matter what other language it's in, if you can get back to a CVE, You know you're going to get the details you want and from there you can kind of spread out it and read it on in different platforms
0: yeah well and it was interesting because to your point we've done some research on the p2p reports and shown kind of growth over time and then we've done a podcast episode talking about that as well Um, but at first it was relatively low volume so pretty easy for people to manage and that is absolutely not the case anymore. So CVE to, um, has partnered with these, uh, cert, what CVE numbering authorities, right? So CNAs,
1: yep. C- CNA, correct?
0: Okay, and their whole goal is basically their uh, vendors and uh, kind of research groups that are pre-validated to work with CVE and input data directly, right?
1: Yeah, so they can they can directly put data into into a miter, um, so they're able to fill out and and have di- nearly direct access. So they become the the people who check the data before it's pushed up to to miter. It was supposed to make the the system more streamlined and take some of the pressure away from a from a contractor for doing all the work onto more of a of the end user of the, of the end group.
0: Which is interesting because we did note like. A massive spike when CNAs started to become a process, right? CVE wasn't able to keep up with the volume of submissions, so they're being published late. They rolled out the CNA process, and that year we saw things spike by like a third in volume, I think, um, yep. compared to the years before. And it hasn't slowed down. In fact, it's continued to increase every single year.
1: Yeah, yeah, we're seeing it again this year. Uh, we'll put the data in the blog post, hopefully, but. But this year, the number one submitter of CVEs is GitHub at 1,002. Wow. Microsoft, their whole team has 803. And then the next one is WordPressScan.com, WPScan.com, which yep. just finds vulnerabilities in WordPress. And they're at 691 as of today.
0: Uh, you know what? None of that honestly sounds like that much of a surprise.
1: No, it doesn't. But if you, but if you think about it, that... Microsoft is in the middle there, but the first one is all open source that that people from GitHub filed a, can file a CVE. Right now, if you go and open a security issue on any repo in GitHub, you have the ability to request a CVE for that issue. And, and it'll go through and it'll score it and automatically create it.
0: Ah, that's interesting. People are increasingly publishing vulnerabilities to GitHub as well. We did a piece on that with Jay Jacobs earlier yeah. this year.
1: Vulnerabilities, proof of concepts right there. GitHub is kind of becoming that funnel where it's not only hosts some of the most popular code in the world, but it's also becoming a very, very research heavy place where where you see proof of concept code that kind of lives there and, and is, is widespread. Interesting. Well, I mean,
0: it, you raise a good point as well. So. Having this kind of volume come in through the CNAs is ultimately, you know, it's good to have this stuff out there, but it results in some challenges, right? So what are some of the uh, downsides of having this many CNAs, this many, uh, the ability for these companies to basically direct submit their own vulnerabilities, uh, researchers to essentially automatedly create CVEs as they're uploading to GitHub, right?
1: The data is bad sometimes. Um, Mm. it, It might not seem like a lot but you know, a one or 2% error in data in the CVE database can really cause headaches for some people. Uh, if you're a Microsoft Windows user, you, you might've switched to Edge, the Edge browser, which is a Chromium-based browser. Microsoft always did a really good job on CPEs for Windows Internet Explorer. So you could say, I have this version of Internet Explorer and you could go to the NVD database and find out all the open CVEs. They've really struggled and kind of hit the you know, fall on their face a few times this last year on trying to get the CPE data correct for for Edge. So that's one of the, the main examples, right? So if you have a version of Edge and you're trying to find the open CVEs for it, the CPE data today isn't accurate.
0: Interesting. And that just makes it harder to uh, import data and underst- do a better analysis, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, think of it this way. A lot of people and not even people everybody does the same thing if you're a big company or a security vendor what you do is you say okay what version of chrome are you running mm-hmm. uh, i'm running chrome version 82 so the first thing you do is you find the the common platform enumeration the cpe of that string right it'll just say here's the vendor google here's the product chrome here's the version 82 and then it has some other information you can then take that data and then run it through the nvd and in one of the data points that a lot of people overlook it'll then give you back a list of all the open cves for that version of the software it's kind of a way to reverse look up in the nvd database to be able to to see what vulnerabilities are on the software And what happens when you don't do a good job and and you just say this CVE is for all versions, no matter when it was published, if you go and look for it today, that's the case with Edge, is that you'll get CVEs, you'll get 100 CVEs, and there's no way to put in a version that is closed.
0: Interesting. And just for everyone listening, NVD stands for National Vulnerability Database. Um, And I I think... uh, you have a fun quote here that makes the NVD more like a best effort and less like the source of truth that it was intended to be.
1: That's what it's becoming. And, and you're starting to to see some data slowness and some data issues. Um, once we got a turn here, VMware is, is having issues getting their stuff into NVD in, in time. We've seen that a couple of times this year uh vmware will, will put out their publication that says hey there's a major vulnerability here here's what the cv is going to be here's the cvss score you know here's the patch and we've seen those sit on vmware's pages for two or three days before they've ended up through the flow and published to Mitre and then nvd so you know anybody who's waiting like kind of security like Cisco, who's waiting on it to be in the NVD is is a little bit behind now just because we're waiting on that source of truth. So us as a company have started to try to move more and more to the edge to try to break some of the stuff. So we're talking to VMware, to Microsoft, to most of the major uh, CNAs directly now and trying to pull on that data as soon as they publish it on their site.
0: Interesting. So just because there's a data lag and lag can leave people vulnerable if a vulnerability is published and there's a few days in between when it actually hits the databases that most companies use for lookups to base their programs off of. That's very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, You also talk here as well about how um, even the CVE description fields are kind of limited and they can limit the accuracy of the data that you get from them as well.
1: Yeah. CVE description field are 500 characters length and explaining what it means correctly and openly so that you can either read it and understand it, or if you have someone smart on your team, like we have Michael Gorman who can write an NLP to, to try to pick out some key words, Yep. if they're not written, written correctly or clearly, you can just miss the whole meaning. And it can go either way. It can be overly descriptive and where it makes it sound like it's the worst thing in the world, or it can undervalue what a CBE is actually doing.
0: Interesting. So there's supposed to be standards from that, but I think as a side corollary of like automation and things like that, there's a little bit less rigor. So they're dis- they're kind of like suggestions, but not necessarily um, pulled through every time, Correct. which can make things difficult if you're trying to automate things like correlation, for example. And the description is Microsoft Word vulnerability. Yes. <laughs> or overly descriptive and people get a little scared because... I don't know. What's a good example of that?
1: Well, when it's overly descriptive, it can downplay, it could be like this specific version of Microsoft Word does this remote code execution on this, right? And you you just miss what it it over describes what the vulnerability is and you you might not think it applies to you. We've seen that time after time again.
0: Interesting. Well, it seems like there was some good basis for why the data can be misleading or why you actually need to pay a little bit extra attention to this stuff. So um, let's uh, dig in a little bit at some of the best practices here. Um, I think you started um, with the 500-character description issue uh, talking about linking back to security advisories. So let's, let's start there.
1: Yeah, so every CBE should have a security advisory if it comes from a CNA. Um, and I always try to go and look at those, and that's usually much more in depth. Um, it's normally hosted on the vendors on the CNA's website, and it should should really do a deep dive into what's actually happening. Maybe have some screenshots. Maybe have a should have a link to a patch. Should have a link to maybe a discussion board or to how you can get support. Right. Got it. If you think of the CVE page as kind of the Spark Notes for a CNA or for a CVE. Yep. The the advisory page should be the full the full novel. Doing your homework yes, versus exactly. reading the cliff
0: notes, guys. Yes, it. exactly. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And in this case, it would be like, say, let's pick on Microsoft because, I mean, it's easy yeah. to do so. Going back to their advisory, you'd click through the CVE, which should have a link to the Microsoft advisory, which they're pretty really actually very, very good at that. Yep. Um. You go back and you can get all the details on the software versions, how it's implemented, how they found it, what the timeline was roughly, like all those background details. So you can really make a much better decision.
1: Yeah. Are they seeing exploits? Et cetera, et cetera, Yep.
0: Got it. And that's typically also where you're going to find patches for
1: almost everything, right? It should be, yes.
0: Got it. Cool. Um, and then there's also, you brought up VMware as well, right? Um, and so they're pretty good about putting out advisories. The, the lag time is a yeah. different story, but you advise go check that out directly. And is there like a list of companies that they should keep an eye out for? that posts pretty good advisories might have uh a- you
1: have to that that comes down to the to the other part right when you mm-hmm. start doing this on your own you really need to figure out what you're running yeah and and then figure out what those companies are right i teach a class i taught it over at uh Sides london on using this open source nvd data to kind of build your own kind of alerting system right like if you know you're on vmware on your on your stuff we i can help you build or we can actually link to a vmware scraper that we have right that'll go out and scrape those so that you can keep keep track of it there's no need of looking at the wordpress scan site which is the third biggest cbe you know publisher. if you're not running wordpress anywhere right mm-hmm. so it really comes down to what's on your network and what you care about
0: got it so look at where you may be vulnerable what you actually own right and then uh, kind of prioritize their importance and then go from there to build some tooling possibly things yeah. like that
1: and most of these companies like uh, VMware has alerting so if you're a customer you can say hey if you publish a new security advisory send me an email You know, maybe a slack or what our web hook of some kind, but yeah got it.
0: nice well, and then you also go into length on CPE data, and it seems like that might be a good way to help uh, reverse lookup and or build some plugs to automate some of this stuff. So
1: exactly, CPE data is some of the most important and and kind of most overlooked data in in the NVD period. It it just allows you to know what version is vulnerable to this CVE, and and it, and it's so important because there are there are so many versions of software. Um, I don't have the number in front of me but we were talking about this recently about how many versions of chrome have been put out this year i think it's been 30 maybe 30 main versions of chrome it seems like every other week they're asking you to to patch your your chrome so you know it's it's one of those things that you really need to know that this CVE that came out affects this version of Chrome version 82.5. But we've already updated past that. So we don't have to worry about this CVE anymore.
0: Got it. And CPE stands for Common Platform Enumeration, right? So what is that exactly?
1: It's a version, right? It's a it's a schema, and we'll link to the schema because it's easier to, to link to it. But what it does yep. is it just tells you who the manufacturer of the software is, what the common name of the software is, um, and then what version of the software is vulnerable. So it would Got be it. something like Google colon, Chrome colon, 82, colon, and then subversion, you know, 0.825. And then there are, there are about six more codes in there you can add extra data to. But, <laughs> nice. but those are normally those first three that you look for. So it's
0: kind of a, a universal way to basically enumerate the platform. So software version and all that good yes. stuff. So, yeah. so whatever you're searching matches up with whatever you're actually looking for and owning. Correct, right? yeah. Got it. So you talk about uh, using some of these data points and um, plugging them into like a JSON scheme. Mm -hmm. And things like that so let's talk about some of this automation stuff because I think that could be pretty powerful
1: I mean we support the EPSS and so you know, this is the data that they use right? Like all of the key points that they use are in there are in here, right? Is the vector the network vector, right? Is Uh this is this vulnerability network or local? Is this vulnerability remote code execution? What's the likelihood? What's the CVSS score? It has all of those data points in there in the schema, and you can build your own data warehouse on there, right? Like if you're running in Amazon or Google, you, you don't care about local exploits, right? Because nobody's going into the Google data center and plugging a USB drive into your Linux server, hopefully. Got it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So it's just the ability to really kind of filter down the noise, and that becomes pretty important. I think I just looked today, and we're up to, on average, of 42 CVEs published every day this year. Um, I was hoping, at hoping, that's the wrong word. My (laughs) guesstimate was that it would be 50, so we're running under what I thought we would. But at 42 CVEs a day, nobody, very few companies have the time to, To have somebody go through those and see which ones them really affect them and which ones doesn't that's why you either need to invest in a platform like kenna vi plus that can help you or or you have to to build your own kind of automation to really help you kind of dig through and and make sure that you're not missing those cves that are important to you and your company
0: prioritization is key Um, yes exactly yeah well and then also you you talk about the the one of the final challenges that CVE records aren't required to include the versions that are affected, right?
1: Yeah. The CPEs aren't required, which is, which is terrible if you're trying to, to look and understand, right? The versions might be in the description. They might not. So a lot of times you just have to guess. I wrote a whole thing on my personal blog about this. There are a bunch that are just wide open. There are, um, there are CPEs for IEE that, that from 2016 that has a bad, a CVE from 2016 that has bad CPE data. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no matter what version of Internet Explorer you're on, it's always going to show up as vulnerable to that. So that's just like something that you just have to learn to ignore because they're not going to go back and fix the data. It's really, really frustrating at some point. The, the thing is to figure out how to not make it frustrating and, and how to automate your way out of this because we're getting to the point where we keep growing these CVE numbers. Uh, you, we were at forty percent when we wrote that dark uh, article. It's come down a little bit. We're probably in the thirties now. But yeah, you know, we'll, we'll finish the year with fifteen thousand CVEs, which will be be an all time high. And if, if the guess that I took through the <laughs> through some modeling is correct. Yep. Next year, maybe over twenty thousand. So, Jesus, we're we're you know, it just keeps growing, and there's no stopping. And it's not in a bad way. Yep. That's what people ask me: is like, should CVEs be harder to get? I I don't think so, but I think it changes how we have to use the data. If you can't read the data individually and look for individual records, it has to be able to be automated and a, at large scale and fast. And I think that's what companies like we do, and I think that's what end users and big corporations are going to have to do to be able to stay on top of this.
0: Yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. Well, and ideally, right, the data would just be a little more clean and yeah. consistent, right, um, to allow companies to be able to action them a little bit
1: quicker, right? And I, I want to make sure that people understand this, right? Like. The data is clean. It's probably ninety-five percent accurate outside of the box, yep. which is great, right? Anywhere else, ninety-five percent data accuracy is is clean data for most people. But you know, when you're talking about vulnerabilities and getting hacked, getting that five percent cleaned up is really, really important for our community and for everyone who who relies on the database to, to be clean. Well,
0: I mean, if we look at some of our research, right, uh, two to five percent are exploited in the wild. So that yep. margin of error, <laughs> yeah. if there's an overlap there, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yep. um, well, and speaking of, I, I, the last piece in um, of guidance in your byline was that there's actually an API to actually scrape some of this stuff, so.
1: Yeah, uh, NVD has an API. Um, they they produce all these records in JSON. that gets updated hourly. Uh, I have a bunch of Jupyter notebooks that uh, are on my personal GitHub and on the kind of GitHub that you can go and pull down and and look at and, and to, to start looking at this data yourself. Because the easiest way to get into it is start to visualize and start to poke around in it yourself.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that's good uh, kind of best practices to lead off with we will post uh links to the byline uh definition of cpe the CVE list uh jerry's personal blog and his github mm-hmm. uh if you want to learn more about jupyter notebooks because jerry seems to be particularly fond of those uh you can uh tweet at him directly his exactly. dms are open i'm sure we'll just yep.
1: yeah slide <laughs> on
0: in Awesome. And then um, just a quick reminder as well, don't forget to uh, sign up and register. You can get your ISC Squared continuing education credits as well for listening to the podcast. So, Jerry, any final thoughts
1: before we hop off? No, no. Thank you so much and have a great rest of the year.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone.